we're going to get into the word. Here we go. You guys ready? So the first Sunday in August, a very important person came and shared with us his heart. And he's the man that started the ministry that built this building and the other buildings on this property. And he's one who has pastored for well over 40 years, but he pastored Christ Church Northgate for 30 years. And uh, so we are the succession of that ministry. And he came to us and he said, listen, there are some things that are really important. And he used the analogy of a well. He said it went back to Genesis 26 and where Isaac was very prosperous. He was blessed by God, doing very well. But uh, the Philistines, who became the enemies of the Hebrew people, the people of God, uh, they uh, didn't care for Isaac and his prosperity. And so they took the wells that Abraham had dug. Abraham's servants had dug these wells. And of course, we, we talked about how that when you're, you know, that's not such a huge deal you know, in this type, this part of the world where we live, because we have water all around us. We're not California where they're, you know, they're importing water and they're, I mean, they're scrounging when it comes to the summer months. But up here, we've got a lot of it. But in the Middle East, where the story takes place, uh, can be 130, 140 degrees. And so a well represented a source of life that was, I mean, if you filled in the wells, which the Philistines did to Isaac, that was warfare. This was the most valuable resource they had. And so Pastor Hammond was likening that to um, wells in the spirit, in the spiritual realm that we get to tap into. They were things that, that God gave to him to, to dig those wells. And then we as the succeeding generation that uh, need to do what Isaac did, which is to reopen the wells. Some of these wells, they get closed up. Some of them get filled in. Like we said, some of them are just neglected. These sources of life. And so a couple weeks ago, we did faith and expectation. We talked about that. What is that? And we then together at the end of the service, we all stood together and we prayed and we just in the spirit realm, we opened up that well again. That God would keep that well open and that we committed ourselves to maintain a level of faith in Jesus that would allow us to be able to continue on in this journey and be successful in God. So here we are, we had family camp and now here we are in the second well that he said was so important to the, the ministry that they had in their local church. What was the second one? Relationships, and that's where we find ourselves today, is in relationships. And, you know, it's, uh, people ask me all the time, they ask Lisa and I, so how are things going with North Shore? You know, we're still pretty fresh, so we're probably going to get that question for quite a while. You know, okay, how was your first year? And so here we are, five months, a little over five months in. And they ask us all the time, and the thing that I always come back to the thing that always rolls out of my mouth first is the relationships it's the people i i can't imagine getting up and just preaching to people that i don't even know literally be like going home to my house and just walking in and there's people there i have no idea who these people are 
Now, of course, there's the growing and, you know, getting to know new people and all that kind of stuff. And that's the, that's the wonderful joy about it as well. But the, the wealth of relationships that we have represented in this room and the wealth of relationships that we're growing into with new people that are coming is just amazing. We love pastoring this church. We love being a part of this people. This is uh, not some, you know, cult personality up here that's just speaking to some, you know, club or organization or fraternity or, or anything like that. I was in college. I didn't join a fraternity, but I did the fraternity thing, you know, for a few years while I was in college. And there, there was this common interest that people had. Either it was, you know, easy access to alcohol. It was, you know, hooking up relationships, different things. They, whatever their perception was as to why they got into that fraternity. Sometimes it was the major that they you know, had chosen in school to study, then uh, that fraternity would, you know, be a little, lend itself more toward that uh, major or whatever. So there was these different common interests. But common interest never, ever will hold a relationship together. In other words, they may be friends for the rest of their life in those types of associations, but in terms of the depth of relationship. And we understand from God's Word, it's very clear that the deepest relationships that people can have together is in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the deepest depth you can go to is in Jesus Christ. And uh, so these different wells that we're redigging, relationships is the well... We want to focus on today together. This relate relationships must be maintained on a regular basis. I mean, think about a well sitting down in the desert. We, you got to keep sand from falling in there and filling the thing up and, you know, clogging the bottom, wherever that water is coming up from down below, you have to really be careful. And they know they knew how to do it. They knew how to make sure, but we can't allow those things to get filled in. Any married couple, any parent, any child, young adult with, you know, everybody's going to tell, anybody can tell you relationships are so key. They must be maintained. If we neglect them and let them go, they're likely going to lose them. When it comes to relationship, there must be a resolute attitude that we have, a posture that we're never going to quit. We're never going to give up. We'll never throw in the towel. Evan and Cassie are going into a relationship today. They're making covenant. That is not an optional relationship. There cannot be a back door on the other side of that. Now, it's easy for us to all amen and say, yeah, we're only five months into this journey together. Maybe you haven't had an opportunity to be offended. Nobody's had time enough to hurt you. Believe it, offenses will come, right? They will. They will. You get close enough to people if you are vulnerable and you get you allow yourself to get in interconnected with people enough, you're going to get hurt. 
And all the married couples said, Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, you walk together close enough with one another, it's going to happen. Pastor Hammond knows what he's talking about in terms of relationships and the importance of it. After 30 years of pastoring Christ Church Northgate, a breach in relationship between its leaders and the people in the congregation divided the church, resulted in its demise. Christ Church Kirkland, Monroe, and us were the result of that and continue on through that. But can you imagine pouring your life 30 years and it's done? So in light of that, we're not only here to grow as God's church together, um, but we believe and we know that God brought us back here to this land to, in the Spirit, heal a breach that took place over 23 years ago, something like that. That's part of the reason why we're here. I don't know if you knew that or not. Just by us being here, intentionally, Working, praying. When we prayer walked this area in the months leading up to acquiring this building to, to be here. I mean, again, this is the building I graduated from high school in. I went to, grew up in the sanctuary over here on the pew. You know, all this stuff. And then it was gone. Because relationships were broken. And we're going to look at a few different things in terms of... Uh, what does it look like to have relationship? What does it look like to be a community of believers? What does it look like to be the family of God? What does it look like to be the body of Christ? Those are different ways that the Bible describes us as followers of Jesus as a collective unit. What makes us this community, the family of God? I love what Timothy Keller says. He says, first of all, it's a shared past of grace. It's a shared past of grace. I really like the way he says that. Now, why is, why is that important? See, in Christ, our past starts at the point where God's grace begins. When God's grace encountered your life, came into your life, and you were born again, and you were saved, that's where your past begins. At that point, everything in your life prior to that has been washed away. Been covered by the blood of Jesus. You are a product of God's grace. You're a new creation in Christ. Dang it though, if we don't just try and live like the old person that we used to be sometimes prior to. God's got His work cut out in some of our lives, huh? That's right. See, but if we're a product of God's grace, we don't have to live with our past hanging on behind us. Amen. You guys, those, those are to be pitied most who have to live with their past continually. How horrible to have that ball and chain hanging on to them. The sins that they've committed, the things that they've done. Literally, the Bible describes those who have been born again as saints. Those who are perfect. Why? Because of our association with the grace and the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Done, 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 huh, Dean? That's right. That's right. 
Let's go to Hebrews 10. Let's go to Hebrews 10. That's going to be a mantra for us for years to come, isn't it? Done, done, done. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Try never to read just a verse, right? We always read in context. Without wavering, the author of speaking, writing to the Hebrew people, without wavering, let us hold tightly to the hope we say we have. For God can be trusted to keep His promise. Think of ways to encourage one another. Talking about relationship. Think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. How do you encourage somebody to an outburst of love? Hey, baby. For those of you listening to the MP3, I'm looking at my wife. Okay? Verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Okay, that would be, that's not just limited to this configuration that we're in right now is we're gathering together as the church because we don't go to church. We are the church, right? So we gather together as the church. Let us not neglect our meeting together or the assembling of ourselves as some people do. In other words, as some people make a habit of doing. But encourage and warn each other. That word mean, those words mean to exhort one another, especially now that the day of his coming back is drawing near. This word exhortation, there's two Greek words in there. It's a compound word. And it means alongside and to, to call, to beckon or speak to someone. So don't neglect our gathering together. He's saying it's very important, but some people do this. It's very important that we come together in this because we need to be able to exhort one another. And this word means to you put this together. It means someone who is right alongside of another person, urging them, begging them to make some kind of correct decision. See, that's part of my job description as pastor of this church. I'm right alongside saying, come on now, let's do this. You can do it. No, never mind. You can't. But Jesus and you can. Trust Him. We're not producing some self-help, self-esteem group here, are we? No. It's Christ-esteem, Christ-help, Christ-do-it-all, Christ-living-His-life through us. In the ancient Greek world, this word was used by military leaders before they sent their troops into battle. Rather than hide from the painful reality of war, the leaders would summon their troops together, speak straightforward, with them about the potential dangers of battle. The song we sang at the beginning. And you're with me in the fight. You're with me in the fight. But not only the dangers of battle in terms of life and the things that we walk through, but also strategies for victory. And to be able to celebrate the victories. Rick Renner he interprets this. It's a paraphrase from the Greek here. But Rick Renner, he says, when you're feeling down and out like a failure who is falling behind everyone else, that isn't the time to stay away from other believers as some are in the habit of doing. That is the very time that you need to come together for the sake of encouragement so that you can face your battles more bravely. So here's the assignment. Got your pen? Got your iPad, your iPhone, your Android. Do you know of someone who needs encouragement in the battle that they're facing? 
If you're part of the body, Holy Spirit should be dropping a name in your heart right now. Someone who needs a call. They need a phone call. They need an old school snail mail letter. I get letters, you know, every once in a great while, but man, those are, you just open it up, you're just like, oh, that was precious. This person took time. You know, it wasn't just a text or something. Somebody who needs someone to come alongside them to help focus on God's victory. To release faith into them. So that's what this coming together is about. That's part of we're the church gathering. We're also the church going. But when we gather together, it's like this, come on. Jesus is going to do it through your life. Don't give up. Don't quit. A family, like the family of God, it, uh, we share all kinds of things. You look at the early church. They're pretty different than us. We're pretty isolated now in a lot of ways. The, the more modern church that we're experiencing today. And it's a reflection of our culture in many ways. But a family shares all of life together. Eating, working, helping, serving. Then we get into forgiving, giving, conflict resolution. That's a big one. Family can be really messy. Anybody ever been part of a family? Gets messy, doesn't it? Well, let's look at some of the things that make up that are wells we must maintain we must keep them open for the life to be possible in our family these are things we're going to have to review we're going to have to go over them again and just about every single one of them has an assignment attached to it so you already got the first assignment which is who is it the holy spirit is saying to you to come alongside and help but the first one that i want to give us we got to make sure this well is open is giving giving some of you just turn me off because you think I'm about to make a pitch for like a building program or something like that. I'm not talking about tithes and offerings. I'm talking about being a giving people, having a giving heart, and looking for those needs around us. You see, our local church community should reflect the divine community. Because my Bible says that God so loved the world that He... That he gave. So love produced an ability to give and meet our need. A need that we weren't looking for. We didn't know was coming. Jesus came after us. And our community needs to reflect the divine community. God's love must be present in order for giving to be possible. It's one of the marks of the early church. Here it says in Acts chapter 2, we've been spending some time looking at Pentecost and the early church. In verse 44 it says, And all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. Wow, that's tight. That's close. They sold their possessions. doesn't necessarily say they sold all of them, but they sold their possessions and shared the proceeds with those in need. They were taking care of the family. When I look at my son and I see there's holes in his shoes, what do I do? I go out and buy him some shoes because he's part of my family. Y'all are part of my family. 
So if I see a need, I want to meet that need. How does this happen? By intentionally building relationship with others. Relationship does not happen by accident. It won't happen. Coming and showing up here, sitting in the pew, or in these nice posh chairs, isn't going to build relationship. It's not going to keep that well open. It's not going to happen. Just by showing up and sitting in these chairs, by definition, falls under the category of neglect. It really does. That's neglecting the well of relationship because it's going to take so much more intentionality to do that. People knew the needs of others because they spent time. They spent it. They spent it. They spent it over and over again. Wow. Look at verse 47. The result of relationship, it says this, and each day, I mean, it just talks about what they did together, all the the believers as they were gathering together. And then it says, and each day the Lord added to their groups those who were being saved. Here, God, can you imagine? He's like, yes, I have a people that I can add others to, that I can pour into those who have needs, those who want to be connected, those who are in deep need of relationship like we all are, I'm just going to throw in a big pot and let them love on each other. I like that. I think God's cool how He does that stuff. Okay, here's the assignment. Ready for this? It's the assignment Pastor Hammond asked as he, he posed this to us, challenged with it. He goes, are you having people over in your home? So, the assignment is to have people over to your home. Here's the kicker. At least once a month. Come on, we're packing it way too tight if we can't do at least that. Need to loosen up the schedule a little bit. But once a month, plan for it. After church, some of you are going to take this and go crazy with it. It's going to be great. So, you know, you, every, every Sunday, you know, Lisa, I've, Lisa and I mapped out. We started talking about this a month or so ago. And we said, you know what? Every other Friday, we want to have somebody over to the house. It may not work to do it every time, but at least now we're planning for it. Romans twelve thirteen. When God's children are in need, be the one to help them out. Here's Paul speaking to the church of Rome. Help them out. Get into the habit. I love that. Look at what he says here. When God's children are in need, be the one to help them out. Get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging for the night. Did you know that was in the Bible? Get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner. That's good stuff. Go, Paul. Look for opportunities to give. You guys, I know that I have more than some do. I know that. And each one of us could say that. There's someone who has less. And this isn't just Jesus' welfare program. That's not what I'm talking about. But we can, I, you know, one of, one of the things we love to do is just anonymous. Just, you see a need and then you just, you know, drop something in their mailbox or whatever. It's not a check, it's just cash. They don't know where it came from. Nobody has to know. Mm-mm-mm. How can God use me to help with my talent, with my time, with my resources? Number two, next well 
that we need to keep open is being selfless. Being selfless. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Hear the rustling of iPads. Yep, Philippians 2, verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? We read this earlier. Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and sympathetic? Paul says, well, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one heart and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make good impressions on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but the interest in others too and what they're doing. That own affairs part, that is so ingrained in, I'll just say me, because probably not you. So ingrained in me. You know, I got, I got, I'm so wrapped up in my own affairs, my finances. I'm, I'm trying to hold it all together. Budgets and, you know, just, it's packed tight. God's coming to loosen that up for us so that we can become a people, so we become a real family. Yes. Oh, like I haven't had that before, but it's like, I got a question, sir, about this loosening the schedule up action. What's that all about? <laughs> come on, come on. That was a short one. Selfless. Had to, had to mention it. Number three, number three, serve serve all right let's go see what the leader of our movement has to say luke chapter 22 jesus christ the grand poobah lord you know i say that with all respect i'm having fun you guys all right luke chapter 22 verse 24 Jesus, and they began to argue, his disciples were arguing among themselves as to who would be the greatest in the coming kingdom. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men, they order their people around, and yet they're called friends of the people. But among you, those who are the greatest should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. I, you know, I, I listen to this, and... I'm the leader of this church, so to speak. I think about how do I become the greatest servant? If we all could buy into that idea, how about if every father became the greatest servant because he's the greatest leader of his home? Wow, that'd start transforming things. Normally, the master sits at the table and is served by his servants. Listen to what Jesus says, but not here, for I am your servant. Listen to that contrast, the ways of the world, prominence, position, all those things. He says, no, those who are the greatest leaders, the master of the universe is sitting there serving the least. Assignment. Where can you serve? 
Man, it starts in our homes. Women, it starts in our homes. Kids, it starts in the home. Anyone can do something that they're told. But a true servant's heart looks for opportunities. I'm, something real simple. Look around here at the end of our time together. When we wrap things up, I mean, this place has to be broken down, all that stuff. Do you, do you have eyes of a servant to be able to see needs that are around you? Do you see them in your home? Do you, do you see them at work? Or are you just focused on your own bottom, personal bottom line? Not your own personal bottom, but your, that came out wrong. But you're, you know what I'm saying? Is it just about getting ahead? Is it about just getting to the next rung? Or is it what Jesus says? I mean, he just made a contrast between the marketplace of the world's mentality of looking out for number one or being able to serve and see the needs that are there. How can you serve your boss? How can you serve the person that's three rungs down from you, below you? How can you serve them? That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Minister to their needs. Watch their, their jaw drop to the floor as you come up as their you know, third tier boss above them saying, hey, is there anything I can help you with? Say what? That's how we're going to transform. Jesus is going to transform the marketplace. That's how He does it. Oh, I love this stuff. Number four. Work it through. This is a well that's got... This is a huge one. So, so important. Work it through and then add on to that all the way. Work it through all the way. Relationships. If, you, if we can't work it through, we're in big trouble. Philippians 2. Going back to the Apostle Paul here. Philippians chapter 2. Excuse me. Philippians chapter 4. We were just in 2. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 2. And now I want to plead with those two women. No. This is the Apostle Paul. Check this out. And now, because he's writing a letter. So if we understand these epistles that Paul's writing, they've been writing to Paul, asking different questions. And how do we do this? We're rookies. We're the early church. We don't know how this is supposed to run. And how do we do this? And so he's writing back to them. Obviously, they talked about two particular women that were going at it. Okay, so he's saying, now I want to plead with those two women. Paul's a wise man. You know, you notice how in the different letters he's throwing commands around. Then when he gets to women, he's like, I want to plead with these two women. Come on. I love it. We won't try and pronounce their names. I want to plead with these two women. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, he talks to this other guy. Sisgus, I think his name is. He says, my true teammate to help these women work it out. That's what it says right there. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. And they worked with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. 
Basically, these women have been real, I mean, they, have, they really have a heart to see people come to know Jesus and they work closely. But you know what? They couldn't work it through with one another. And he's appealing to them. And I, I believe Paul's tapping into an insight here for the health of churches. If the relationships between women in the church are healthy, then the church is going to be healthy. I kid you not. I've heard, I've heard, I don't know how many times I've heard this from other pastors. So women, you've got a big responsibility. The guys are a little more, you know, thick skinned and we can work things through and just like, you know, that's water off a duck's back. No problem. But the ladies, a little bit more challenging sometimes. Come on, ladies. Don't be sitting there being like, what are you talking about? Or, what are you talking about? You know it's true. You know it's true. How do we work things through? First thing you do. First key for working things through all the way. The first thing when a confrontation happens, is to ask Holy Spirit to show you what you did wrong. You ever notice how the opposite always happens? It's always, oh, I know exactly what you did wrong. That's why we need Holy Spirit to help us see. Holy Spirit, what did I do wrong? It may be 3%, it may be 96%. Own it, whatever it is. Take responsibility for it. Number two, under work it through all the way, is confess. Try this out. I was wrong. If, go ahead, just try it. I was now try that when it's real, right? I was wrong. We need to stop using sorry for moral wrongs that we've committed. Do you know that sorry is, is an apology? And an apology is connected with the word apologetic, which means to make a defense. So when we say sorry, we're just going, you know, I'm sorry that that happened. In a sense, we're making an, a defense for what we just did. And so you, you may find that when you say, I'm sorry, somebody may judge your apology. And rightly so. It doesn't mean that you aren't sorrowful for what you did, but what we're after is Holy Spirit being able to lead us into repentance. So we start by Holy Spirit, where was I wrong? Then the second thing is, is being able to admit I was wrong and then admit what it was. Confess that sin. You know, when Justice or Jaron, one of them punches the other or something, you know, it's not, hey, I was wrong for punching you. No, that was the fruit. We want to go to the root. Would you please forgive me? I was wrong for getting angry with you. And as a result of that, I punched your head in. That's where it needs to get to. It's got to get to that bedrock bottom line. So true confession keeps relationships clean because it addresses sin. Now, sorry can be used for, you know, I bump into Madison and Spiller you know, tea or coffee or whatever. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't do something morally wrong at that point. 
But if we did, then we need to identify it and, and do it and, you know, identify it as such. Number three under this is to repent. Here's the difference we need to see between confession and repentance. In the Scriptures, confession is always associated with seeds. It's the beginning or potentially can be the beginning of repentance. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. Repentance in the Scriptures is always associated with fruit. Repent and bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, repentance requires evidence, proof. It takes time. How long does fruit take to show up on a tree or a bush? It takes time. In other words, we have to walk it out. We have got to walk out that confession. So our confession turns us in the right direction toward God and restoration in that relationship. But we've got to continue to walk that out. That's why we hear the things like, I believe it when I see it. Why? Because they're looking for repentance. Because we know it's cheap. If somebody keeps doing the same thing over and over again, what is that an indicator of? An unrepentant heart. Huge keys. Don't plead your pure motives or good intentions. That's somewhat important. I didn't mean to. Don't start there. Holy Spirit, where, am I, where do I need to take responsibility? This is what keeps relationships clean. Focus on what you did. Don't stay there, but focus on what you did so that you can take responsibility for it. There's freedom on the other end of responsibility. I'm serious. Try this out. Take it home. Take it for a test drive in the family. Try this out. Some of, when we did this at the end of our home group back in February before we launched, we had uh, some, some moms take this home and try it with their kids. They took it into the child care. Some of them take it to the school. They could not get, they could not pry it out of these kids. I was wrong. They'd say, say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Say, I was wrong. You need to take responsibility for what you did. They wouldn't let the glue stick to them. We must be training our children and we must lead by example, I was wrong. Father is one of the most powerful gifts that you can give parents. One of the most powerful gifts that you can give to your children is humility and an example. When you mess up, when you miss it and you sin, go back to them. Say, you know what? Daddy was wrong. I did not represent the Lord to you. I was harsh with you. I got angry with you. Not, I took it a little too far. I made a mistake. No, identify it. Let it stick to you. One of the most powerful gifts you can give to anyone. So, the assignment is, take I was wrong for a test drive in every area of your life. Just try it out. See how it works. You will see number five, the next well, begin to really come into its own in your life, which is humility. I wish we had time to go into this. This looks like it's turning into like a 20-part series that we're going to do for the next year. Uh, but that is, uh, that's where we're going to end for today. So, leave you with a cliffhanger. Next week, we're going to pick up with humility, part two of digging this well of relationship. So, I, I, I just... This is, this is huge stuff. 
Huge stuff. These assignments are so important. What was the first assignment? Let's just review those real quick and then we'll end. What was the first assignment? Who needs to be called? Who needs to a letter? Anything like that? To come alongside them and encourage them in the fight. What was the next one? Bring people over. Invite people over to your home. Are you inviting people in? Plan for it. Account for it. Set aside days for it. All right, next one. Okay, working to serve. Anybody can do what they're told, but it's God, please give me your servant's heart so that I can see the needs that are around me so that I can serve them with my time, my resources, my talent. What else? What's the next one? Take I was wrong for a test drive. Remember, repentance takes time. It's always associated with fruit in the Scriptures. It takes time. Let God work it out in your life. Don't just think because we've confessed something that now we've repented. God wants to work that confession into your heart in true humility. And we'll pick up with humility next week and we will dig this well. All right. Kim, come on up here. Kim's got an announcement real quick. I just um, wanted to say a big congratulations to David and Harmony Duke, who had their baby this week. Um, And also, to go along with what Pastor Eric was sharing, just of giving of ourselves and of our time and blessing others in their needs, um, they are in need of some meals this week and next week um, as they... Welcome this new baby number two into their home. So if you are able to, um, please do go to the website, sign up to bring them a meal. Thanks. Wonderful. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week.